video game hour. Video game hour. <laughs> hour video and game hour. One minute. In, yeah, exactly. Or two five minutes. Um, hi, hello everybody. Uh, welcome back to the video game hour. I'm Tavit. And I'm Yusuf. And this is it. Uh, yeah. We are actually back in the Boogie Down Bronx. Uh, it's been a little while since we recorded here. Yep. You know, you, you might hear a few trains pass by, but that's the nature of the game. It's life in New York, man. It's life, life in the boroughs. Life in the boroughs, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I do love the Bronx, though, man. Every time I get to... And it's a beautiful day, too. Windy, but really nice. But clear, which is good. So for the record, you know, someday, thousands of years from now, when YouTube is being crawled by some, like, overlord, like, AI, mm -hmm. uh, just remember yeah. that when today... When the world consciousness is <laughs> yeah. searching so, the, the history... Parsing of, for good weather yeah. in the Bronx, <laughs> near South... Yeah. Ben what Corbin. did good weather once look like? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, it's a really beautiful day. It's, it's a good day. We had another bomb cyclone. I don't know. Shit happened. Whatever. We're here to talk about video games. Yeah. <laughs> but how's life otherwise? You, you watching anything? You uh, reading anything? You playing anything other than our game of the hour? Um, yeah, life's been pretty good, pretty hectic as ever. Like, just keeping busy, doing a lot of writing, which nice. is um, challenging but rewarding. You know, those two balance together in a nice combination of passion project <laughs> yeah totally. and um yeah like so that actually yeah like last time i still haven't played a lot it's just like really hard to i mean there also haven't been that many like big but like game releases yeah. like i mean besides monster hunter of yeah course. monster hunter our game of the hour Which it's actually we smashing about. records for capcom i think uh, that's what it's i like hear the biggest selling game of all time or no maybe not of all time but it's one of their biggest games so yeah i can see that it's yeah. definitely caught on pretty big i mean like a lot of people that I've talked to who've played it, like, haven't played a Monster Hunter game before. I mean, just, like, having it available on a console yeah. is a big deal. Totally. But we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Um, other than that, I've I've been playing Celeste. I don't know if I, don't oh, know if yeah. I mentioned it last Celeste time. Yeah. yeah, but I'm not done yet, but I'm, like, pretty far along. Nice. So I've been enjoying that game. It's a, it's a platformer, like, kind of, like, challenging. You have to get... You're basically climbing, climbing up a mountain. It's people who made Towerfall, so it kind of has a similar, like, um, classic 8-bit pixel vibe, but the aesthetic generally is really nice. Like, the is, music's yeah. amazing, the art style's really good, and so that kind of like keeps me keeps me drawn to the game. Yeah, I would I would say like you despite the the challenge. And you're not like a hardcore platformer person. You no. ever play like Meat Boy? Or I played Meat Boy. M plus M plus plus. I didn't play M plus, no, okay. but um, yeah, I mean I don't inherently care that much about the medium or like I'm not drawn. It's your to favorite it. medium, yeah, or genre, or whatever. like yeah, interaction mechanic, yeah. but I like the way that Celeste looks, I like the, like the narrative delivery system, it's just kind of like two characters talking back and forth, like in kind of the interim between like challenging yep. areas, and it has that, it's kind of a nice pacing and um, tempo, so you have like, get through a couple like tough jumps and you get a little bit a uh, drip feed of narrative. Yeah, oh, and, and what a narrative it is, I actually really, I, I completed the critical path of the game. Yeah. Uh, I found a few of the mixtapes that open up like the really, really hard levels and I haven't yet returned to like, because I think it's the kind of game where you have to obviously, with any of the core, like hardcore games, you have to like kind of be in its universe to like get past the hardest parts of mm -hmm. it. Like you can't really, well, I mean, you could pick up any Souls game and just like dive back <laughs> into it because of Probably all the hours you <laughs> yeah. But yeah, there's like, yeah. you, it's one of those games where it demands like kind of your undivided attention and, and erring into a different one makes it harder to come back. So I haven't come back yet, but I love the narrative. Like, Celeste, I think, um, it takes, like, the the in-game, like, trajectory of climbing a mountain as an extended metaphor uh, about, like, not just overcoming obstacles, but basically overcoming, men like, mental health, like, issues and, like, the sort of the... And not just, like, not, like, capital, you know, mental health, like, capital M, capital H, mental health issues, although those are explored as well, but, like, 
issues of anxiety, issues of depression, like they come up uh, over and over again. And I really enjoyed that running metaphor, uh, that kind of metaphor, but also it's directly addressed in the narrative, like Celeste's anxiety, or no, sorry, Celeste is the mountain. The yeah. character's name is, um, I cannot remember now. Yeah. Like me. Meredith? No. Um, oh. I can't remember, but yeah. she's a great character. Uh, she's going through a really hard time. She's climbing this mountain because she's going through a rut in her life. So there's this great, like, you know, the physical trajectory up the mountain, uh, and then the, uh, I don't know how far along you are, but, like, the moments in which the, like, game tosses you back a certain distance, back down the mountain, it serves as a really powerful and simple metaphor um, that really, I think, elevates the narrative yeah. quite nicely. Her dialogue with uh, the character who I love, the other guy who's, like, selfieing his way up yeah, the mountain. the mountain bro. Yeah, yeah, he's really fun. It's a really mm. great, like, dynamic between the two characters. Yeah. Um, and all the other sort of secondary and Yeah, I love characters. the hotel guy. Yeah, the hotel guy, Mr. Oshiro. Yeah. I actually remembered yeah. his name. <laughs> he was great. Uh, yeah, it's like kind of like... Or is it Madeline, maybe? I think it's Madeline. Madeline. Yeah, it's Madeline. Yeah. Nice. So, um, yeah, you kind of... There's a the section where he goes through this haunted hotel and, like, it kind of does the Gone Home thing where it flips the haunted house on its head yeah. and becomes almost like a charming haunted hotel because mm -hmm. the ghost that is the purveyor is the host of the hotel like kind of host ghost a host ghost wants just wants to make you really comfortable yeah and you kind of do what you can to like make to kind of ease his pain of being so lonely stuck in this hotel and in his the business has yeah, failed the, yeah, yeah failed exactly so he's actually like, yeah it reminds me of we were in vancouver last year and we went to like um victoria yep and there's a bunch of ghosts there, so we did this or the, we did this ghost tour. Oh, while, cool! While we I didn't there. know that was like a big it's thing. A, I guess because it's and an isn't old that colonial where town. the game is from or where it's set. It's a Canadian mountain. I don't. I remember. wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if they were from Vancouver, Vancouver or, or maybe Toronto. Who can say? You might. They both have, been have big games. Celeste Mountain. <laughs> there was no mountain. I wouldn't have climbed. Oh, you were climbing that. Okay, cool. <laughs> but there is a hotel in Victoria. that's like one of the oldest hotels there, and like it has like multiple ghost sightings, and like people always talk about. Um, there's like one famous ghost there that is like a bellboy and he just helps them get to their room and then like they're like he hasn't worked here for like it Sounds like Goshiro decades. is like based on that legend. We should definitely look that up. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's really interesting But yeah, otherwise it's yeah, it's a really fun game. Yeah, and, um, I look forward to, to finishing it Yeah, I definitely enjoy it. Like it's so funny because like your souls games genre is like my platforming thing Like I've always loved that uh, subgenre in games. So it's something that I just sort of like chewed up and you know, played through the critical path in kind of like one week and a half. It was really great. It's like, those are like my quick hit, like, pleasures. I also really enjoyed Slime Sun, which is another one on the Nintendo Switch. I played that months ago. I don't know if I mentioned it on a previous episode, but that's another one where it's like, it's approaching like hardcore difficult um, platforming, but it does it really, really well. Um, even lower bit count, like in terms of like throwback nostalgia, it's like 8-bit, where Celeste, I feel like, is more like yeah, the 16-32-bit. Like yeah. Super Nintendo. Super right. Nintendo, to, yeah, exactly. So it, there's just a really great um, collection of those types of games, and I really enjoy them. But actually, right now, I'm playing uh, a game that was just released uh, on mobile phones. I'm not much of a mobile phone gamer. Um, but it was actually by the by HAL Studios, or HAL Laboratory, or whatever. The guys who originally made Kirby games like okay. they're like one of Nintendo's like most darling almost like second party developers yeah. um, and they released they have like a sub label now called like Hal Egg which I assume is going to be making these like smaller games and uh, it's called Part Time UFO and it's fucking awesome it's like super fun because you're um you're one of those like uh, like arcade gallery UFO things those claw machines oh, right but you're free floating you're not in the confines of like an arcade cabinet so you're this free-floating UFO 
with a big claw that comes out of it, and you've like come to Earth, and uh, you're doing like odd jobs for people. Like basically, it's almost like um, uh, elite beat agents level like fictional universe where like a single mechanic can like save the world. And in elite beat agents, it's like from helping an old lady cross the street to like literally solving world peace or deterring an alien invasion. <laughs> like dancing is what like saves the yeah. world in each case. Yeah. But in this case, like this little claw is used in like a million different ways. You're like picking up objects and like moving them or placing them very carefully and so it gets a lot of mileage out of a very simple like movement and one button to lower claw and one button to raise claw like it does a lot with a little which is like one of my favorite um principles of sort of game design is like one good core mechanic that's like explored in many many ways it's like 3.99 uh i'm more than halfway through it it's like a great train diversion cool yeah i would nice. definitely recommend checking that out yeah that sounds really interesting um, yeah, also, another short game, or a small game, is uh, All Our Asias. So like it's, a, it's an indie mm. um, exploration game by uh, Sean Han Tani, and he like uh, he had made Anodyne and um, oh, this is, Even the Ocean. Yeah, I totally, I read some stuff about it like oh, a couple cool. weeks ago, but I, yeah. it's like flown under my radar, so tell yeah, me Yeah, it's been like kind of, um, like a very, you know, indie release, but I wanted to pick it up because it's like he's a great de developer with a cool yeah. pedigree and the game sounds really interesting so it's this 3d exploration game and it kind of delivers you a narrative as you explore these like kind of lo-fi almost like playstation one era graphic worlds that are mostly meant to represent like dreamscapes oh. and uh because the, the premise of the game is you are this man exploring his father's or his estranged father's like memories before he dies so you kind of go, it's like this like futuristic procedure where you kind of go into his memories and you kind of oh, like cool. wander around and try and like kind of piece together who he was because you didn't really know him um, growing up. So it's like very much like an exploration storytelling game. And yeah, I've been playing it to, you know, get get a vibe of it and probably write about it. Oh, cool. Um, nice. Because yeah, it's just like, you know, stuff that I, I share in comment as well, like being like kind of a second generation or a child of immigrants yeah. and like... Um, kind of talking about that disconnect of like growing up in America but having family around the world and like trying to like figure out your place in the world and and um, your place within an immigrant community as well because like a big part of the game is like kind of him like acting out his father's footsteps of like being a organizer and trying to like get um, kind of uh, work to help these like struggling Asian restaurants in Chicago mm. oh really and it's all done through this like really like, like abstract so cool. spatial system um, but it's like it it, it it hits home and it like feels like uh, like you're really doing it because like there's this whole like kind of struggle against the um, gentrification of the city and like there's like an innovators like which kind of like are painted almost like as this boss. Oh, right? nice! Where, That's you know, awesome. They have a tall building and it takes forever to climb to the top. Okay. And then like kind of this like this giant head like Star Fox head like <laughs> you know tells you that your idea sucks. Andros is back. Yeah, it, but it's like the art director. Totally, it's like, Andros, the art director. But it's totally fit into this that model of like old school gaming and then like but it's like talking about modern problems. Yeah. So it's neat. It's really fun. Like you know indie game that I recommend. Yeah. And it's out. so funny that you're talking about those themes of like growing up as a you know, first-generation American, like, a, a child of immigrants, it's, it is definitely, like, been kind of, in the last couple of weeks, a really big theme that I keep on returning to, uh, oddly enough, and I think we were, just before the recording, we were talking about Black Panther, mm -hmm. um, excellent uh, film by yeah. Ryan Coogler, 
Um, and it's funny because in the same week that I finally saw, and I'm saying finally saw Black Panther, the second week it's been out, but I've been like no, waiting for so like, I must see yeah. it. Uh, so finally having seen it, I actually saw it the same week that I finally saw um, The Promise, which was like a film that was about the Armenian genocide. Um, and I too, am a, I'm a child of immigrants. Uh, my parents came to the States in 77. Um, from Beirut, Lebanon, because the path that my family went through historically was like they were genocide survivors. But what's really interesting is like um, watching The Promise in the same seven day span that I finally finally saw uh, Black Panther. It's really great to feel the the sort of overarching sense of commonality of like the diaspora experience through both of those uh, films. Because I think you know Black Panther, it really, really it doesn't. I mean by virtue of the characters Killmonger and T'Challa, like, does a much better job than the film The Promise, which is a film about the genocide being perpetrated, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, ab about the divide between the diaspora's uh, sort of mental modes and um, definitions of what home should mean and sort of the, the virtue and vice of both T'Challa and Killmonger's sort of differing viewpoints of what Wakanda's role in the world and what Wakanda's, like, sort of um, role for the diaspora communities that were, you know, going through, that had suffered through slavery, that had been impoverished for so long and been sort of, like, kept down in the Americas and the Western world for so long. Like, Killmonger's, like, motivation. Yes. Um, it's definitely something that I have abstract, not like the African-American experience, but, like, I have, I have experienced from the Eastern-Western-Armenian divide because there's, like, a massive historical and cultural difference. Like, Eastern Armenians have gone through uh, Soviet Union, uh, as an experience, like being uh, one of the countries within the Soviet Union, having a very, very, uh, both a really wonderful relationship with the Soviet Union and a very strained relationship with the West, particularly since the Soviet Union has fallen. And being a Western Armenian who, for the first time in my life at the age of 20 or 21, went back to Armenia for the first time and was like, literally like followed home and threatened by Armenians my age in the country because I was like this Western invader like mm -hmm. this like person who uh they had associated with people who come in and buy large swaths of property and build churches when the country itself is mainly post-soviet like a godless country mm -hmm. uh on the sort of indigenous armenian uh, level and these like massive cultural differences and also like the difference of what armenia as a concept means to myself as a western armenian versus an eastern armenian it was just it's been a really common sure, theme yeah. in the last few weeks of me exploring this um, and maybe for the first time in my life, softening my own rigidity to that opposing viewpoint. And weirdly, uh, no, in no small part, by the experience of having seen Black Panther, which has nothing to do with my <laughs> cultural upbringing, mm -hmm. um, but had through those key moments in the movie where Killmonger is actually like explaining his viewpoint, and you're like, this is a justified villain. First of all, thank God, because like Marvel needed good villains, mm -hmm. uh, and Killmonger is a fantastic villain. But also like. There's no, the, the, I think the beautiful thing about that film is like, and what it tells me about my own experience, is that there's no right answer to this, right? Like, culture is in the eye of the beholder, um, and history is, you know, obviously experienced, but it's also remembered. And in that perversion of memory, like, it, it becomes weirdly reclaimed and rewritten by each generation that it's passed on to. So, I know this is all no, absolutely. wildly yeah. abstract, but when you bring up all, all our ages, yeah. yeah, it like feels like thematically I should explore that next, because it's like, another chapter in that self-same exploration of like diaspora versus homeland oh sure yeah. you know tribe versus tribe even like even within wakanda there was like 
a gradation of ideas mm -hmm. of what Wakanda should be yeah. doing or how it should be run or ruled. Like, it was really, I don't know, it was a really important film for me to see, and I think it was more subtle, obviously, than any action film yeah. or superhero film I've ever seen before. Like he stuck in a lot, of, a lot of commentary yeah. in the way he set up the world, yeah. which is really neat. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's, a, it's definitely a, an avenue I've been exploring just, I think this year is like, it's going to be just like a big focus yeah. for me, yeah, just because... Um, a lot of it started when I was playing Assassin's Creed Origins, and oh yeah, unpack um, that sure. You know, like I'm still hoping to write something about it. Like um, basically, how it's so interesting to me that you know um, Ubisoft, Ubisoft, right? Yeah, they, yeah they, yes, they, yes, definitely, still Ubisoft, definitely Ubisoft. Even though it's slightly different Assassin's yeah. Creed game, still Ubisoft. Still Ubisoft. <laughs> you know, chose to like have um, I think really represented Egypt that in the West is generally not shown, which right. is one that is very multicultural. Yeah. And diverse, like the main voice actor is like African or like Sub-Saharan African. Awesome! Um, I did not know that. Yeah, and like there's a lot of like characters in the game that look like Nubian and like, um, which is like an, an area south of Egypt that like constantly had like crossover and interaction with Egypt and like was constantly colonized by Egypt and um, often exploited by it. Yeah. But in doing that kind of like, like bled into it and like um, you get a lot of like, I think. Um, Difference in how people looked and like different yeah. cultural like accoutrements, and the game like shows a lot of that. Oh, cool! Which is great. And That's so, like, great. Yeah, and I think it's so important because like especially like with some of the stuff of the past the past few years, like Gods of Egypt. Yeah. And like there's like Pop Egypt. Where yeah, yeah. Pop Egypt, even like Stargate. Yeah. Where it's like you which know which I still it, love as a film, but it's yeah. complete crap. Like I mean, from a cultural absolutely, it's yeah, not like exactly a, yeah, it's like enjoyable, but yeah. you get, you get how problematic oh, the premise absolutely. is. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and also, I think the only other film that the main actor from the Crying Game was ever in, I think, the villain from Stargate. Oh, yeah, I think the, it was the, the Pharaoh, only, yeah, the Pharaoh guy. guy. I might be mistaking. It could be. Guy. I don't even remember who that actor is. Yeah, it's the only <laughs> other film that he, that guy ever did. I think. Anyway, sorry, sorry. No, yeah, um, minor wrinkle. Uh, yeah, so it kind of it set me off in this course of just thinking about my own like relationship with Africa and um, especially like since my mother is North African. Mm -hmm. From Tunisia, which is just like a few countries over from Egypt, yeah. and my father is African American by way of slavery and with the West Indies, and kind of trying to reconcile those two parts of my identity um, is like super difficult, yeah, <laughs> especially is. because um, you know like the lot the the Arabs like in during like their heyday like basically enslaved a lot of Sub-Saharan yeah. Africa and probably st and still look down on them as like kind of below them. Um, so it's interesting to have like one half of my identity like kind of look down the other half. Um, and then the Egypt is like this this linchpin that I can use to unpack the, that dichotomy because mm -hmm. it's like this country that I think in in many ways like it's it's always since like the beginning of time has seen itself as like above the rest of Africa. Yeah, it's got that <laughs> because almost yeah, Persian yeah. from my own like I'm not Arabic but like of my of my corner of the world the Persian uh, culture setting itself apart from the general oh, Arab yeah, yeah, culture yeah. seems like an, an analogous totally. kind of. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, they were like one of the few, they were like the first like organized government, yeah, government, and like have have always had this like really interesting like, um, just uh, strong and and um, complex society that they yes. that was existed before anybody else. Like deep cultural um, rules, traditions, yeah. like, and so like that kind of like setting themselves apart. Like makes me think of like how North Africa sets itself apart from the rest of Africa and kind of 
and sees itself as like better than them and mm. and um then how i then can then how do I then sometimes portray myself as a person living in the u.s like not always like embracing my blackness or like right. you know putting one part of my identity over the other depending on the situation um trying to like um not do that and find a way to like make them work together and like it's like basically impossible because the u.s like everything has to be like one or the other like yeah. you're either like fully you're a black person or you are a non-black person of color or like you are white or like an or ethnic group like like mixing the mixing ethnic groups and races like just doesn't happen in the u.s and like people no. just can't understand it we need like monoculture like it's like one of the things that american like the american like cultural mental state can't handle diversity from like a mm. even from like a personal level like the individual yeah. diversity like I'm not just an Armenian I'm not just an American I'm not just a New Yorker uh, I'm not just into video games I'm not just <laughs> into books I'm not just in, yeah it's hard I think yeah. for Americans to understand that pluralism that exists within an individual sure or even yeah. within a society right yeah absolutely it's a, it's a complicated like um, it's a complicated question with an even more complicated answer yeah. And so, like, it's something I'm, you know, looking into and trying to figure out how to, like, parse. And it's a good thing that, like, movies like Black Panther came yeah. out. And All Our Ages is a game that I think definitely ties to that because a lot of the questions of the game are what makes the main character feel Asian or feel connected to the Asian community in, in America despite not sharing a lot of his, his life and his experiences with them. Yeah. Um, being, like, a second-generation um, Asian-American and, like, uh, kind of using the, the memory of his father to try and reconnect with um, his community and mm -hmm. like kind of be aware of his own privilege as somebody who grew up in the U.S. and like didn't have to deal with the direct immigrant experience. So yeah, totally. Um, Super interesting. I'll definitely check out yeah. that game. Is it uh, PC Mac or is it? Like yeah, I think a... uh, I think it's on both Mac and PC. Yeah. Yeah, I just I'm feeling this week the particular woe of not owning any sort of uh, PC because uh, Enter the Breach came out, which is the next oh, game for yeah. the players of FTL. Yeah, I've been hearing really I just don't have a system capable of playing it, and I, I really sure, want I to. Feel like you, I feel like that thing will play anything. It's just like so flat looking. Like oh yeah, but it's like... just Windows only for now. Oh, I and see. I just don't have the yeah, Windows yeah. machine. Or that one, one, yeah, that one bridge you got to cross. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm woe be, woe yeah. be me. I can't play Enter the Breach this week. But... I'm sure it'll show up on like every system yeah, eventually. Like FTL is like on everything. Yeah, exactly. And it seems like a really low like lift game so yeah here's hoping for the switch it's like so weird now i basically like every time a good game comes out i'm like i, I hope it gets ported to the switch because yeah. like it's changed my like my expectations of games i'm actually replaying bayonetta and i'll bring sure, it up again yeah. when we start talking about the game of the hour but i'm replaying bayonetta 2 and i loved it on the wii u i absolutely adored it but it's so much better on the train <laughs> it's like so like all these games that were these like you know double a in nintendo's case are like big triple a games uh that have been now given a new life and a new kind of um cadence for me that i can play them in 20 to 30 minute bursts i'm actually squeezing a lot more enjoyment out of these games that i'm even replaying sure. like i'm um, revelations 2 wasn't that great resident evil Re revelations mm -hmm. 2 wasn't that great but it, again it's like almost made better by the fact that i can play it for like 15 20 minutes and just like put it down and move on yeah um so That's yeah great. yeah I was gonna make a monster hunter for the Switch. Oh yeah, I know, and it's so funny because like, we can let's that's a great transition. Yeah. Like our game of the hour is Monster Hunter World, uh, Universe Generations. I don't know, <laughs> uh, but yes. World Planet, um, Planet and New World Continent New World. Right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> uh, and it's a Capcom game. Uh, it's basically the next iteration of a very long running uh, and dearly loved but like cult-ish game because it sold it sells incredibly well in japan 
Uh, and it's sold pretty decently, like decently enough that every year Capcom would report at least one of the SKUs of it to the Western audiences, but never a smash. Never like a, in, in the Western world, never a massive smash, but this game is a smash. Yeah. Uh, this game is a gigantic yep. seller for Capcom. It's the first time the game has come to a uh, home console uh, in multiple generations, because um, I was introduced to it on the Sony PSP, uh, and then I played three versions of it uh, on the Nintendo DS or 3DS. Um, and it took me a while to get into it. Definitely like have to like take my time getting into it, but this is its return to a home console, because I think it initially... Um, debuted on like the PS2 or something like that. So I'm an old hat or an old hand at um, uh, the Monster Hunter series, but I'm really interested because this is the first Monster Hunter game that you played? That is, yeah, the so, first. Like, tell yeah. me your impressions of it, because I've got some questions for you specifically when it comes to this genre, or I'm going to push this into a genre, but just tell me your impressions of the game, Yeah, considering you never played it. Um, impressions are favorable. <laughs> That's good. Yes. Um, yeah, it's like... It's a a game that really embraces this notion of um, adventure and um, and kind of this like almost like joyous approach to like interacting with with the with a, I guess an enemy, but really it's almost like an opponent that you're squaring off again squaring off against in a fight, and that opponent is like either a giant dragon or like a small <laughs> like snake. Monkey lizard, like, <laughs> snake monkey lizard, my you know, favorite. Um, really inventive monster design for sure. Um, but yeah, it's kind of hard to describe because while yeah, while they share characteristics of a lot of other games, like um, it's pretty rare to play a game where the plot takes such a dramatic backseat to <laughs> yes, um, just kind of the end all be all of the activity of of hunting monsters yeah. of of like kind of doing of like this core loop um, of kind of getting your gear together, going out, hunting or uh, killing or capturing a monster, bringing it back, and then trying to use its parts for armor and weapons. Like, that's the whole game. That's like, the game. That's and the yet loop. it manages to make that engaging enough that you don't quickly get bored of kind of basically doing the same activity over and over again. Over and over, um, over again. Yeah, so like, at first I was like a little worried about this kind of monotonous um, ritual that the game kind of uh, asks you to like engage in, but I think because the upgrade cycle is very alluring, you know, getting to see what the, the, the kind of preview of the armor might look like and kind of getting you on this, like, um, desire to go and, and get the ingredients for it. And the fights themselves are um, really interesting, and especially in, as, as you progress along to harder modes, like, they start introducing really cool, like, um, variables that make the fight, like, different and, and it's just enough just different enough that it doesn't feel monotonous like yeah. when they start having uh, like that Beetlejuice monster <laughs> I call him Beetlejuice the Beetle the Beetlejuice the yeah exactly the <laughs> kind of drop, drop, uh, drop in mid-fight and just yeah. like fuck everything up um, when you're trying to like focus on this monster really like makes the world feel alive yes. and and like that you are not the center of it yeah. <laughs> like you're kind of doing your thing but other things are going on other monsters want to like sniff you out and see what's <laughs> happening so, yeah, it's just like a game, it's like this interesting study of, of, um, of chaotic, chaotic, like, um, continu continuity, like, where it's like, you are doing the, 
a repeated act is 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 um, differentiated enough that you just keep wanting to go back to it. Yes, absolutely. and the loop is like um, of getting new gear is alluring and and um, attractive enough that you just it keeps bringing you back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's a really great sort of summary of it. I think it's for me it's actually interesting because it's the one game franchise that I actually grind and mm -hmm. don't mind the grind. I, we've talked about this on past episodes before where I am pretty much allergic to grind. Like it, it's it's X'd out a whole bunch of, you know, really classic, uh, like, Japanese RPGs and, like, like old-school RPGs that I've just, like, straight-up missed out on because, like, I know I'm not going to be into it, and I know that after, like, the 25th hour, I'm just like, meh, all right, that's good enough. Like, Big Bad is not worth, like, the, the end of this amazing plot is just not worth me sitting through these turn-based battles or whatever <laughs> it might be. Yeah. Um, but there's, you know, very few games that... And I actually, before this episode, I went back and checked my old... My... my the latest 3DS that I have just to see the file yeah. like time sure and they are the Monster Hunter games are consistently the longest games that I played I played like over 200 hours which is something that very few games have crossed that 200 hour Rubicon sure. for me like I just don't play games it's a long, that long it's a long, it's a long ass hours. time yeah um, I think yeah. 8 and of course by the fact that those were portable games mm -hmm. I don't know if I'll play uh, Monster Hunter World that long maybe I will um, but you know these are games that I would regularly put in 200, like regular, like each skew put in like 240, 250 plus hours. So like that's, I mean, that's something to sneeze at. Like it's a chunk of days, you know, of my life that I've put into these things, weeks. Um, and I think it's, as you said, there's, there's just so much um, basic refinement of that core hunting loop, that, that in-game action that's squaring off against a very well-designed opponent uh, that has just enough um, evolution over the course of the many times that you'll fight it. Uh, the attack patterns will change, condition will change, like if you get far enough past the Everstream, they'll reintroduce monsters monsters you've seen before, but now they can spit fire. And now they can shoot like molten balls, and now they have like an extra elemental thing. Meanwhile you're like, your, your weapons are starting to gain a little extra elemental twist, and like their levels are coming up. So, you know, if we stripped it completely bare of its graphics, uh, and if we took it away from its action gameplay, it's a spreadsheet. You are playing a spreadsheet game where there's like, you're essentially min-maxing the whole game, uh, which is a very, you know, Japanese, like, RPG or Japanese game design tenet where it's like mathematically kind of perfect curve. Um, but there's something about the relationship and speed of the keyframed attacks, the dodge roll, uh, the scale of the enemy, and like you're saying, the interactions with the overall ecosystem that the game sets up that I think for me gives it enough perfect trajectory yeah. math spreadsheet and enough kind of like wacky, like random, okay, the boulder fell this time. Yeah, or like, yeah. okay, yeah, the Nergigante got attacked yeah. by a boulder, boulder beast or whatever that There's is. There's like a, yeah, a, a randomness and yeah. the wackiness is a really good word for it. It is wacky. Like, especially like, you know... You're fighting, and the the another dragon comes in and like knocks you up. Your guy like kind of flails, and, like, flies through the the map, and like rolls over and over again, and like gets up like Street Fighter Dizzy style, yeah. and, like, hits his head. Like where you're just like it's not. It doesn't feel like a spreadsheet because it feels a lot of times like you are just barely holding on yes. to the situation. Yes, you're yeah. always at the edge of the spreadsheet, and you could fall off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You're like holding a big bag of numbers, but they're just shaking everywhere. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and like you're also covered in Vaseline, so yeah. it's hard to yeah, like exactly. hold on to yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it is. It's a really interesting thing. And like, you know, I I'm at that point in the game now. I'm, I have not hundred percent. I don't think I ever will. Um, mm -hmm. 
Also, Capcom does a very uh, traditionally does an incredibly good job of loading in new content. Mm. Uh, there were uh, for each SKU that I've played a whole year of like long tail valuable add-ons for free uh, that will like premiere once a week or once a month. Um, nice. So actually, like if they do that again, if they if they are playing from their existing playbook, which they have been in every iterative version of the game, expect that like two months from now, maybe a month from now, they're actually going to be releasing like new monsters into the into the game and all sorts of other stuff. They they are they're fantastic at supporting the Monster Hunter franchise with ongoing free content. Um, so I'm hoping that's the case again. Um, I can definitely see like continuing to play it and. Honestly, like, I'm having this, like, weird kind of cultural hipster moment where I've been playing this game for so long and loving it for so long, and it's weird, and it's wacky, and it's never really caught on in the West, and it is a multiplayer game. Like, it really shines when you have a couple of friends together and you're, like, clawing these monsters. It's popular now. It's, like, really wildly popular in the West now. So, like, I get online, jump into a random hunt with randoms, and we're all speaking the same language. Yeah. The simplicity and the elegance of, the, of that, like, that, that core loop is just so accessible um, that I, I think it's just gonna I think it's gonna do really that's gonna continue to do really well I think I'll still get a lot of enjoyment out of it yeah um, but you I think you touched on a really interesting thing it's like it's a plotless game right like narrative doesn't just take a backseat it's just like useless right like what's the point the game was like start like I, I remember correctly like, you're a hunter with a fleet you're going to the new world you crash land in the new world now you're a hunter in the new world. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> That's then, the uh, game. You get to kill that monster, and then um, kill the bigger monster, yeah. and then, oh, there's a bigger one. There was a monster riding on the bigger monster. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, opened yeah. up a new area. Yeah. There are more monsters here. Monster, monster, monster. Yeah. Yeah. That's the plot, yeah. I mean, as far as I can tell. But you mentioned also before the cast that you're starting to sort of, like, fade. You're, like, not, you're not into it as much anymore. Yeah, I think um, it's that, like, the, 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 gear grind mm -hmm. is um, not being, it's getting a little, little bit too complicated maybe, yeah. because it's like the the from the first, I don't know, 50 hours or whatever, like it's, you're always like, know what you want to get next, and yes. then like once, I think after a certain point you're just like, okay, well now, you know, the, the game, it, it's that uh, diminishing returns end game that most big games do, where they they make the, they make the more high level items more rare and like harder to get, so yeah. it's like now you gotta grind more for them. But it's really just a reward the player for playing more, yes. you know, versus like any other. And it's like not as much like, you know, when you're like kind of leveling up in a kind of linear fashion, it's like cool, play, Man, get, a, get an thing. item, wow. play some more, get another item, and yeah. like now it's like play a lot, don't get anything, and then play some more, don't get anything, maybe get something. Or get something that you don't get anything you need for the sure. item that you're going for. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and and that is the late game grind. Yeah, which is fine. I mean, I don't like, um, I don't regret that. I think it's fine to stop playing a game after a while because yeah, of course I oh, have to course. I cover a lot of games you I do you do a you game of the hour to do a different game of the hour next time oh, so I gotta play a different game and I, I wonder like the question I wanted to ask you was you know I've playing I've been playing and I've always been enjoying Monster Hunter as a franchise it took me a while like the PSP version of it the very first time I played it I did not love it mm -hmm. I got about 15 maybe 20 hours in and at the time I was not disciplined enough to like get over the initial learning curve mm. of like it's not just a devil may cry action game it's 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 an action game but it's it's quite different and so i wanted to ask you because you're my like resident souls expert <laughs> yes what's the 
like, what's the like? Is there a relationship between Monster Hunter and Souls to you? Is there a difference? How how is it different? Because I'm I'm trying sure. to unpack that myself. And again, I'm also playing Bayonetta, which is like Devil May Cry essentially, mm -hmm. uh, Team Little Angels instead of Team Little Devils. Like a lot of the same alumni carried over. Yeah. And I feel like there's a a relational spectrum between those games. I feel like I feel like there's personally, and I could be wrong subjectively, but like I think that there we can carve a kind of path from. You know, the pure action game of, like, Bayonetta Devil May Cry to maybe Monster Hunter either in the middle or on the other end of the spectrum with Souls somewhere in that spectrum yeah. as well. But I wanted to get your take on it because I've never punched past the 25-30 hour mark of any Souls game. Mm -hmm. I've gotten to that first curve. Uh, where you're like, I actually rang that first bell! I'm fucking God! I know how to play this guy! Oh no, God! Jesus yeah, yeah. Christ, you're nothing! Welcome to hell. Like, Blight Town, and you're just like, Bleh. I don't want to start over again. Uh -huh. Right? But somehow I can punch through that with Monster Hunter. Somehow I can punch through that with... Yeah. Well, what, I mean, the, what's, the, what's the relationship? It could be my experience with Souls, but I don't think Monster Hunter has that curve, uh, or that drop-off. You know, mm -hmm. like, it's... At least World has been fairly approachable like I, I think um there are very few times when like i'm hitting a monster where i'm like i don't know how to beat this monster <laughs> and you kind of have to like go back and hmm. we're in the souls game almost every boss like has that um that that uh i guess like wall you hit where you don't understand how the, how he moves how you should move and then how to re rectify those two things yes. until you beat them whereas monster Hunter, i think there's a lot because of the chaos there's a lot more leeway to kind of you know, run away, get your health back, and then um, maybe, like, try a different angle. It could also be, like, just using the Insect Glaive um, weapon, because there's, like, 20 different weapons you can use. Some yeah. of them are harder than others. This, like, the one, the one I'm using, like, like, kind of launches you in the air and allows you to, like, get out of the way of a lot of the ground attacks and just, like, hit him on the head while you're flying over him a bunch of times. Um, so that almost, like, I mean, that already just distinguishes it a lot from Souls games for me. Like, if I was using, like, a big hammer or a sword, it might be more like um, placement might be more of an issue, which whereas whereas I think like souls like placement is everything like yes. so much of it is about your um, your limitations um, in the physical space where you only have so much stamina and health and you have to kind of balance those with needing to do damage to the boss who's also at the same time moving around in, in, moving around in unpredictable ways and while and and those all exist in Monster Hunter mm -hmm. like there's just like it's just so much more forgiving that. Um, you, you consider them, but they're not the like the rule the you know the language to learn perfectly yes. to to proceed. So I think um, Monster Hunter doesn't like Souls feels like it's interesting actually because it like Souls feels like a world that you don't belong in. It's like this is the, you like fuck you for being here, like um, you are trespassing on the graves of like people who are much greater than you. And, like, yes, um, you have to and you like. How dare you defeat them? Whereas Monster Hunter really has this kind of broy, um, like uh, almost like um, colonial. I was gonna say, I mean, it is, like, like weirdly, like I mean, like, it's you're Japan, powerful. It's like, Japanese, so the colonialist aspect is probably is not exactly like a Western yeah. colonial, colonial yeah, not Western colonialist, but Eastern colonialist for sure. Like, um, and, yeah, and then um, entitlement is what I was gonna say, like kind of oh. broy entitlement, where it's like you kind of roll into the new world, and you're like, this is awesome, let's go. Monster. My job is monster hunting. Yeah, so yeah. That, I mean the tone 
um, drives the mechanics in oh, some ways. Interesting. Or uh, I think like it's welcoming you to this cool, you know, Disney adventure of like you know, kill like you know, square enough against some cool monsters. But it's not like the monsters are like, it's not like you are like you know, ending a god's life or like you know like um, bringing the, the age of darkness to a close or yep. something really dramatic like that. Okay, you've just you know? flipped my spectrum completely oh. with this reading, which is yeah. cool, because now I can put, like, souls in the, like, in this, like, very dark, foreboding, tonally, like, the relationship between the, the tone and the gameplay, uh, having a real relationship and, and affecting each other in the one, you know, pole of the spectrum. Yeah. Then, actually, weirdly, Bayonetta or Devil May Cry, where... It's goofy at times, but it's very, like, it's dealing with, like, these, like, very, like, good and evil, heaven and hell. Um, and actually, weirdly, connecting back to our diaspora conversation, uh, a witch that's cast out of both heaven and hell is an enemy of both sides that she used to represent the Umbran side, and now she's, like, kind of caught in the middle of it, the, a human that is both cast and out of heaven and hell. And Devil May Cry also has that. Devil May Cry, right? yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then Monster Hunter, which yeah. is like, there is no god, everything's great. Like, whatever, like, yeah. it's all Or, great. like, God's on your side. You are God, yeah, God's yeah, on your side. Like, yeah, like, you have the, you have, it's interesting how you have the, the, the like, the mechanisms of the state behind you. Yeah, it is interesting. <laughs> you know, it's really great to, to unpack it this way, because I was... I was kind of coming at it from like a ludological standpoint of just like gameplay itself, mm -hmm. but we can't we can't separate the two. I think in these cases, even though plot is so sparse in Monster Hunter and plot is so hidden in Dark Souls, and it's full plot forward in Bayonetta mm -hmm. or, or Devil May Cry, where essentially it's doing these big cinematic moments. I'm just on the train up here. I was just fighting Balder, who's like one of the big bads, who's also like linked to Bayonetta's past, uh, and it's like it's cinema, cinema, cinema. I like. You feel it more on the train when a cutscene runs more than thirty seconds. Yeah, like, to yeah, a minute. Yeah, yeah. You're like, and you're just sort of like, I'm not playing. Yeah. I'm just like holding a screen, and the guy across from me is like, "What the fuck are you playing, man?" Because yeah. like, it's a wild ass game. <laughs> but it's interesting to think about that. It's like Souls hides its lore, or like its lore is everywhere, but like the deep lore and the explanation of it is like not. You're not allowed into yeah. it. You have to like find it yourself. Yeah. Bayonetta uh, or Dove McCry is like all exposition. And Monster Hunter's just sort of like, whatever. <laughs> like, there is not really a deep lore to it. It's just sort of like... Yeah. It just... It's very surface. It's very broke. I mean, it's like... You could, you could almost see, like, how a game like Star Souls would approach it, where it's like... You know, you, you have some of the elements, like, which I think may be tied to, like, maybe a Japanese cultural history, where, you know, the idea of, like, the Earth... Um, the Gaia Force, like, or their version of Gaia, the like, which, stream or which I think, whatever. like, the games like Final Fantasy VII, like, that was, like, the oh, whole yeah. backbone. Oh, absolutely. Um, and then, which is the idea that, like, there's, like, a life force in the Earth that is kind of separate from the, you know, the, the petty evolutions of mankind. Yes, exactly. And you're and not like, meant to be affected by the machinations of mankind. Yeah, yeah. but then you end up affecting Tapping it. Tapping it. <laughs> like some more power, like, It's like, you end up just, like, uh, it's like, because there's, like, characters there that are, like, this is a greater power than you'll ever understand. But prove you're a badass, and then you can proceed. <laughs> like, Shinra! Yeah, like, go, yeah. go kill some, uh, kill enough monsters, and then you can understand it. Yeah. Oh, congratulations! Pretty like, great. you know, like, it's More not... armor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As opposed to, like, you know, like a Souls game where, like, if, if this was, like, you know, Monster Souls world, like, you would just show up, and, like, no one would tell you what to do. And these They're monsters would just, like, like, guild. like, literally smash into the ground with their foot, like, you know, and then, like, it would just, like, Maybe you might you might get a hint of like what is what is the undercurrent of this world, but 
it would be important. It's interesting how it's like it's hidden, but it's important. Yes. Whereas in Monster Hunter, it's like explicit, but it's not important. So like on one end, uh, Dark Souls prepare to die. Yeah. On the other end, Monster Hunter prepare to faint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like the lighter version of it. Yeah, I mean the fainting does like play into the tone where it's yeah, like you don't you're like you're not dying, you're just getting punched out. Like yeah. because because like it, you're just like as tough as the monsters really. Like, but yeah, it's like a game. It's like a, you know, like um, like a crocodile Dundee kind of character. Absolutely. Or like this, like it's cartoonish. Where yeah, you're kind of um. Yeah, it's just like the the image it paints of this like game hunter, like backcountry explorer that is that eats a lot the eating and drinking kind of plays into that where it's like kind of this hearty um guild atmosphere of just i don't know like of, of like you're i mean also the, the community of it too yeah. like you're not alone no like you're, you're not meant like, to play it alone you're yeah meant to play it and to you play the, it. like the base is always back right within reach of you and mm -hmm. then you kind of you, you go out and come back with your trophies and you do it again so like it's not like yeah, the, the tone dictates so much, and I think that's, I mean, for both games, I feel like the mechanics complement it. Like, I, I don't wish, I don't necessarily wish that Monster Hunter was harder. No, no, no. Um, it's a, I mean, it's a different beast. I'm just putting it on a spectrum. No, 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 yeah. Like, yeah. I'm just, like, kind of rectifying my own head, yeah. where it's like, yeah, I think that for both games, like, the tone and the mechanics need each other halfway, mm -hmm. and, like, make the experience more cohesive. Like, yeah, and, you know, it's it's probably the same for, for Bayonetta. Mm -hmm. Well, if I ever get to play it. You've never played Bayonetta? <laughs> well, I, I played the demo. Oh, okay. <laughs> for it, both look, games, it's a problematic game. No, I will play it. I it's a problematic game, it. for sure. Because like, it's like hyper-sexualized, yeah. but it is also a completely self-motivated, independent woman woman character who like is not beholden to a man yeah. or like a romantic relationship. So the SM aspect of it. There's, yeah, there's like, there's really, it's problematic in their, in the portrayal of her. Mm -hmm. um, but weirdly enough, it's like also very much based in uh, European, like a Western European, deep, not deeply researched, but like researched um, and formed uh, incorporation of what was essentially the feminism of, of witchcraft. Mm -hmm. You know, these are powerful magic women. Uh, hair was a, a source of and a symbol of their power, and Bayonetta's weapons and clothing, everything is conjured from her hair. Mm -hmm. um, and there's like all these things where like they get it right, where you're like, yeah, like that's a powerful woman. But then like her like walk, her basic walk animation was like based on like, it's like all chest forward and somehow her ass is also <laughs> out. Yeah. And like her legs are seven miles long. Yeah. She's a hypersexualized character, um, but it's not for anyone within the universe that she existed it's for the viewer of the of the game. yeah so it's like it, it's problematic by a country mile but god damn it if the gameplay isn't great it's like a weird it's just definitely like a weird ass game it's a weird game no i appreciate the weirdness of it and yes yeah, kind of what draws me to it so i, I will yeah i'll, I'll play, play it yeah i'll yeah. play it oh you know <laughs> but yeah so like i think I, I love the way that you sort of stratified Souls and Monster Hunter, and I think it's it's also interesting to think about like I have a difficult time placing these kinds of games mm -hmm. because I again maybe because of my sort of allergy to like the the JRPG grind I tend to be like oh yeah like Souls and uh, Monster Hunter and definitely Bayonetta are action games, mm -hmm. but then my friends will be like. No, nah, man, Souls is an RPG. 
Nah, man, Monster Hunter is an RPG. Do you think, like, there's, um... Do you think it's, like, worth unpacking that? Like, I know, like, what's in a name. Like, there's genre benders everywhere, right? Like, there's film, and there's mm -hmm. books, and, you know, even my favorite book, Moby Dick, is, like, a meta-novel, where it's, like, it's not an adventure story. It's not poetry. It's not any one thing. Uh, it's everything mashed up. Like, is there... Is there... Is there something that we gain by classifying these kinds of experiences? That's a good question. I don't... I guess like what I don't know. If, yeah, them... I don't. I don't know if it does necessarily add cl like clarity. It's right. Kind of a question of like um, asking what the what, what the game offers um, because it's kind of hard to present it as a RPG in the sense that because there's no narrative. I mean, I right. feel like that's so central to an RPG, at least like uh, Japanese RPG. Role. Yeah, the Japanese RPG exactly. Um, and RPG itself is a term that has to be like broken up into a bunch of pieces. Like, yes. You know, because action RPG. I mean, yeah, the Western RPG has its own mode, and the tabletop RPG has its own mode, and then, yeah, you have, um, I mean, just because the game has um, gear and yeah. leveling, I don't necessarily think that makes it equivalent to, like, something like a Final Fantasy, where the, you, when you play Final Fantasy, you know what you're going to get. Yes. Like you're going to get um, a, a, a narrative-driven experience, which, with very reg uh, regimented, like, systems of, of, of fighting and interaction. Exactly. And then a world you have to kind of go around it. And yeah, I think Monster Hunter kind of defies a lot of definitions as, as a game. Well, Keyframe I mean, animations, right? Your attacks are the same every time. But I mean, in terms of like what to expect, is like what can I compare it to? Like if I compare it to Souls, it was not correct. It's not, it doesn't feel like a Souls game. And it also doesn't feel like um, like a Devil May Cry or a Bayonetta. No, no like it, it certainly doesn't. It, but have you yeah. tried playing with different weapons? Only, only a little bit, like, yeah. like not that much, mostly glaive. Because I, I have to say, like, I am, I am a glaive as well, uh, yeah. but I'm also a longsword, mm -hmm. and I'm starting to fuck with other weapons as well, and it, it really turns it into a very mechanically different experience. That's what I expect. Um, and I think yeah. if you did, like, try playing with a hammer or a switch axe, you might actually have, like, a mechanically comparable experience to a Souls game, simply because you're yeah. grounded and your dodge rolls are like way more methodically slow. Mm -hmm. um, and you ha you're forced to, on the ground, experience the enemy attack patterns in a very different way than when, as you so poignantly said, like you can launch over a lot of the ground attacks yeah. uh, with that awesome glaive. But no, I noticed that when I was fighting uh, the Diablos, because yes. Um, yes. for the most part, you can't like air attacks don't do much with him because he's so fast. You need monsters that are slower. and. He has a burrowing attack that um, gives him, puts him out of like range of most of your attacks for a while, and then you have to be ready. Like that, you can't really be flying through the air no, while it happens. It pops it up. He's just gonna get you, and then do like ninety percent damage. So yeah, <laughs> you kind of have to like um, uh, learn his. That's like one. That's like play the pretty much the only fight where I had to learn his his moves and memorize them yes. and figure out like how many rolls. Which was a very Souls thing, where it's like, all right, I know that attack to get out of range. I have to roll twice. Like, versus, like, this game, like, that hasn't really come up. Yeah. Um, but then again, that's only, like, the boss fights of Souls. Right. Like, there's not, it's not the... There's no minions It's not fight. the minions or the lore or the world. Like, the world of Souls is so particular to the Souls experience, where it's, like, this is, like, this interconnected, like, maze-like um, dungeon and castle battlements and kind of, like, weird caves, like, where you are... Um, crossing in and out and like the end point will be right next to the beginning point yes and all these things like where whereas the, the maps of monster hunter are just very like normal explorable um spaces so i think like if you're gonna yeah you just like i can't 
I mean, that's why in the beginning, like, it was hard for me to like easily explain the game or my takeaway from Monster Hunter. I just don't think, mainly because it's it's really about the small core loop of the experience. Like, I mean, it's it's crazy how it really is just taking away the story of an RP of a JRPG and giving you only the grind. That's the entire game, just yeah. the grind. It's just the grind. So in that way, it's like somebody was looking to play a story game. They're going to be disappointed. Yeah, if you tell them to play because it's an RPG, they're they're going to um, no, absolutely turned away from that. So it's like in that way, using RPG as a descriptor would not add clarity to the mm-hmm. your description of it. Like it would not help you to describe it. There's also just one more kind of. This is this might this question might not yield anything interesting, but I, I just want to ask like, what is your grind or what is your loop when you're outside of battle? Like, take me to your sort of experience in the hub world. Sure. Yeah. It's um. It's kind of fun to like figure out the ritual you want to take. Like, a lot of it is. Um, I'll start next with the, the the uh, the resource. The researchers. Down, the, the researchers. Yes. Or I guess it's like the the bounty people. Yeah. You exactly. just kind of, that's yeah. the, they're called the research team, but yes, they're yeah. the bouncy folks. And you kind of like hand in whatever like mm-hmm. in- incidental world. Get those armor spears. Yeah, get those <laughs> spears, very important. Um, like kind of like, they'll be like, pick ten mushrooms or like kill a couple of wing- winged monsters or, or, or ground monsters. And you kind of get bonuses from that that just happen as you play other objectives. And then if the ship captain comes in, I'll go get the ship stuff. You gotta get that. The Argosy's in, man. Um, and then I'll kind of go up um, I'll, I'll check my wish list to see if there's like anything that I can usually it'll remind me yeah. like if you have a wish list that's like set up or you'll just go to the workshop and just see if there's something yeah, that there's you want to like, look at yeah. it's kind of like going to the mall you going know, to the mall like, it is exactly <laughs> yeah, like you really check out the your items. resources on the trade floor yeah you know you're like you're, it's like checking into the bank essentially yeah, yeah, yeah. go to the bank yeah you check, you know, <laughs> deposit your money. Exactly. I go right to the cash, to the, cash. <laughs> the farmer guy yeah. or whatever, and I pick up my herbs and shit. Yeah. And I like turn around, hit the elevator of the workshop, check them all. Yeah. See if there's anything cool going on there. Then go to the food court. Yeah. I hit the canteen, man. <laughs> yeah. I hit the canteen. Like whoa. Yeah. Because I just love those cat animations of the cooking. It's silly. They're fantastic. Because you don't even so... need to go there. You can just eat out. Eat out. But it's just nicer. You know. Yeah, have the nice the restaurant experience yeah, where the, you know, the cats, the cat chefs will serve you. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it is like, it is really like this mall experience. It is like a mall experience. Um, and kind of, kind of ties into the, like, the way the game is, is not forbidding at all and not like, um, it's not an uncomfortable experience. Yeah. It's always like, everything is there to comfort you. Exactly. Like all these little elements of this base camp are You're just there. away from home. Yeah, and you kind of like come back and you rinse off from the area. It's almost like a Metal Gear Solid Five, right? I know, man. Come back to the base. It's and so like, funny. <laughs> it's like, and I have to say, especially between um, this episode of the Video Game Hour and the last one, mm-hmm. it's not just that Nintendo's had a very good year. I think like Japanese game design has had a very, very good year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been seeing like near uh, Automata, like a whole bunch of games that are coming from this like very not just from a staffing perspective, uh, but I think from like cultural design and aesthetics perspective, like it's been a, a really great year or two years for Japanese game developments from like a market perspective where yeah I agree you know, five, se- yeah, five to seven years ago Kojima-san and like a whole bunch of other Japanese developers were like peace the fuck out America wins like <laughs> it's all about American game design and then I think because you know we're, we're dealing with a commercial art form uh, the I think that there was a real um, 
in that battering of, from a sales perspective, Japanese design games for a while, where like Bethesda's and even CD Projekt Red's or like a Western European kind of aesthetic and game principle like came up where it's like freedom, go where you want, explore what you do, level up by go by doing, you know, that mental mode was absorbed and and uh, and um, sort of it was ingested and it was also like considered very much by the glitterati of um, you know Eastern development studios mm -hmm. and now they're spitting it back at us and I think doing it way better than we ever did from an east-west perspective like you know Breath of the Wild redefined what an open world you know action RPG could be for me yeah. um, it was the one of the best exploration and discovery experiences of my life as a, as a game player it's like one of my yeah. maybe top three games of all time I also argue like um, other countries too are kind of bringing it bringing their game I, Witcher 3 like being an Eastern European game it's, yeah, which of three is Eastern European? Poland is... Yeah, I guess so, culturally. Yeah, it's Poland, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, it's Poland. And then Metro, like... Yeah, Metro, I, I would... That Metro, I'm definitely saying that that's, like, Eastern European. Um, where, yeah, you kind of, like... That kind of, re like, took a lot of the basic tenets of, like, kind of a triple-A shooter. Yeah. Where you get a lot of, like, kind of um, environmental storytelling interspersed with, like, a shooting gallery system. And, like, it just made it... It did it so much better than, like any like western developer oh, could yeah, absolutely. so like it's really cool to see like whenever like and they're coming out with a new metro game this year or next year yeah so cyberpunk's coming soon yeah so it's really cool it to is. see like non-american developers shining yeah um, and non-western stories being sold or i guess yes. like it's weird monster hunter is like the east trying to be west i think in some ways but argu know. arguably like japan has like a hunting culture mm -hmm. and um i'm not saying yeah i'm not saying they don't i'm just like but I don't it, know. But, it, but the provenance of, like, that idea of coming to a new world and yeah. um, kind of, like, sacking it for its resources. I mean, they, they did it with China and Korea. Oh, so. absolutely. I mean, it, it, it exists there, I think, with them. But um, in terms of, like, yeah, how much it is borrowing from, a, from Western ideas is, like, impossible to really gauge. Yeah. Because I think that there's some... You can say that there's, there's provenance within Japanese history as well, so... Um, I think I think that's the point. A point that would be interesting to to hear more about, like, because it's just so interesting to me. Because it's really easy to read it as a Western colonial game, but absolutely. But there's like micro differences. And yeah. Yeah. For sure. Exactly. Like, um, like, like is is like what is the Japanese manifest destiny? You know. Yeah. And <laughs> which exists for sure. Yeah, and like I mean, post empire Japan. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Exactly. Like, is this them like kind of like tapping into that that empire? Um, mentality yeah so interesting and even you know last episode when we were talking about um uh what is it silence and like the, yeah, yeah exactly matter, matter it's like kind of all coming full circle uh actually also speaking about coming full circle um one note because i think we're almost out of time uh last episode uh i said i said something that i need to <laughs> i need to like basically be like i was wrong <laughs> Which is, we talked about Metal Gear Solid for a second, and I was like, yeah, maybe Metal Gear Survive will be, like, finally, like, the game engine finds a fun game. Did you play yeah, it? No, I haven't played it, but I'm reading review after review, and I was like, I was wrong, man. Because <laughs> from all the reviews I'm reading, it's like, the it seems like it's the worst version of the game it could have possibly hit the market. Yeah. I might wait till it's, like, discounted. Yeah, or PS Plus or something. And PS Plus, exactly. <laughs> That's one of those that's, like, meant yeah. for the, like, yeah. like, the blockbuster when we were kids. Like, 
The five dollar game bin. Yeah, the big bin. Whoa! Yeah. I have recorded forever saying that might have been a good game. <laughs> let me just let me just apologize. I was wrong. Apparently, I'll play it and maybe I'll well, return to just chalk that up to you being a forever Metal Gear apologist. I I that. Hey, I said it out loud. Phantom yeah. Pain was shit. Yeah, I hated that game. I'm not hated, but it wasn't You're very good. Gravely disappointed. I was gravely disappointed. Um, you should I want to shoot some some crystal bins? <laughs> At this point, the reviews it's like getting fives and shit. Yeah. Like I I don't know I was wrong. I'm sorry. I mean, you can kind of see the writing on the wall. Like there's yeah. like we got this engine. We gotta let's make some money off like, of it. Like like ring yeah. some more yeah, money exactly in. from the stone. <laughs> but yeah. So yeah, I mean, so next Hunter. next month game of the hour. <laughs> don't do it. We should do it. It's been a long time since we fully hated a game. That's true. And you know when I like think back to our like oldest episodes where I was just like, the Dallas Principle, fuck you, and you were like, yeah. and you were like, um, what was it, the Jonathan Blow, the Witness. You're like the Witness, fuck you, yeah, exactly, man. Exactly. You think it's the best? Yeah, we gotta, yeah, we gotta find some games that we're gonna like uh, disagree on. <laughs> they gotta be out there. They, I'm sure they're out. We'll there. find one. Yeah. So until then, yeah. uh, thank you guys so much for watching or listening or I don't even know, just being here. Yeah. Uh, so to all observing our. Emanations. <laughs> Do your holes. Do your holes. <laughs> that was gross. That's great. Uh, this has been the Video Game Hour, uh, and thank you so much. Catch you next time. Pew!